you, Bill. Well, my son says the microphone is in the right place. My daughter says that my necklace is straight. My wife says I smell good. <laughs> She's very kind. And my brother says that the funny story I'm going to tell on him is okay with him. So I think I'm ready. <laughs> my brother says that the funny story I'm going to tell on him is okay to tell. So it's a team effort, man. Team effort getting me up here. <laughs> it is easier to curse the darkness than to light a candle, isn't it? Darn darkness. But the candle is a much better solution. If you are in need of some encouraging thoughts along these lines, keep listening. There will be a few mentioned. You ever get fired up about doing what's right or about stopping what's wrong? Ever? Maybe it's saving the whales or the trees or the unborn or the gas money or Second Amendment rights. Whatever it is, you believe in it strongly, so strongly that you have strong feelings to express when your cause is discussed, and especially if you feel it is attacked in some way. You make sure that somebody knows where you stand and that this cause has your support or your denouncement, whichever it is. You know anyone like that? You know me. I'm like that especially while driving. Just ask my children. Have you ever been on Facebook at any time? Then you know people like that. You might even be one. Now causes are not bad things. Not even bad things to support. In fact, the longer and the more intentionally we choose to support a cause, the more we find ourselves at the front or the top with greater influence and effectiveness. Now, this is an opportunity that God gives us to use our cause to point to him. But be prepared. Many will worship the cause and not follow you all the way to the creator. And many will oppose the cause and oppose you as long as you are with the cause, since the cause is all that they see. Causes are easier to dismiss, easier to accept easier to feel good about than individuals. Ever have problems with individuals? There was a comedian who once said, life would just be so much easier if it weren't for others. <laughs> Guess what? You're the other to somebody. <laughs> Oh, causes are not others, right? They don't ask questions. They don't probe deeper, raise awkward objections. Just say yes and everything will be fine. Or just say no and you never have to think about it again. It's tempting. Joining something bigger than yourself is attractive. Hating or loving a group because of one of the things it supports requires much less thinking than trying to be objective and thorough. But we are not called to the easy way. Something I learned from teaching math is that mistakes are always easier to make than getting the right answer. <laughs> it's like the joke, I know a place where you can eat dirt cheap, but who wants to eat dirt? 
Mistakes are still mistakes. Wrong answers are still wrong. What about those individuals who support that cause, members of that group you don't agree with? The flat earth parents in your children's class. The church members of the other major political party. That student who wants to be addressed with the wrong pronoun. The neighbor with the live-in boyfriend. The relative who disagrees about gun control. The partner of your relative who helps lead an atheist group. Your children's friends in the music they listen to or the games they play or the words they use or the clothes they wear or don't. When I am faced with causes and opinions from individuals, and I start to get fired up, sharpen my sword. Each of these people and these opinions presents me with an opportunity to choose a response. Sound like a teacher, don't I? Do I rant for my position or against their position, regardless of their feelings or who's around listening? Seems kind of self-centered. Do I refuse to discuss, just nod and smile, regardless of my feelings and convictions, and then judge them in my head? Also self-centered. Do I say what I need to say with as much love as I have for them, only when I need to say it? I think I hear conviction talk. Keep listening, you'll hear it again. Do I try to look past the opinions of others to their needs? Or do I only see their differences in terms of being wrong or right for me? Is it my way or the highway when it comes to causes that stir up my feelings? Can I listen to what I disagree with while I look for Christ in the middle of it? Specs and logs, brothers and sisters. We know by now what we should be thinking and doing when these things come up. So let's review biblical principles of responding to causes and opinions of disagreement in this world. <clears throat> Number one, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit never compromise morality or truth in word or deed. We don't have to either. But that will cost us, just as it cost our Savior. We may not be able to maintain relationships with some people, though we are admonished to live at peace with all men, as Paul said. <clears throat> we may be frightened. We may be threatened. We may be deprived of something for taking a biblical position and expressing it, even if we don't express it on social media. At some point, our position must be expressed to someone, and they may not like it. It may be the hardest thing you ever do. The World Watch List booklet and the Open Doors phone app bear witness to the danger in taking up the cause of Christ. Jesus said that those who are not ashamed of him are those of whom he will not be ashamed. 
before his father. That is an encouraging thought. At the same time, we need to understand that not everything that elicits a strong response is a moral issue and worth dying for. Think about what ticks you off. Ticks you off enough to shoot your mouth off about it. Driving anyone. Some of you are not being honest. <laughs> Just playing the percentages. Fashion. Language. Holidays. Didn't Paul say something about each being fully convinced in his own mind? Something about bearing with the weak. Not putting a stumbling block in front of those who need help. Sounds familiar. I think I hear conviction again. The Bible does not take a position on whether cornbread should be muffins or in a pan. <laughs> My high school math teacher used to say, pi r squared, because cornbread are round. <laughs> or something like that. The Bible does not choose between Michael Jordan's career or Kobe Bryant's or tell you which brand of vehicle is right for you. Some things we need to let go of trying to win or even compete. God calls each of us as we are, where we are, and no two lives are identical. God gives us his word so we have a standard of reference for everything we face, something we know we can trust as true that isn't us. We are not to measure the world or even our lives according to ourselves. As we study his word, we find ourselves and our causes challenged. The truth is we all want the Bible to support our secret shrine to self. It does not. Don't look for that. You won't find it. We have to change to fit God not the other way around. And that means hobnobbing with drunks, prostitutes, the sick, the misguided, the deceived, the corrupted, the smelly fishermen, tax collectors, publicans, republicans, democrats, libertarians, etc. <laughs> as our Savior did. We are to stand firm but we are to stand firm on God's platform rather than our own or even our feelings. Take every thought captive under the obedience of Jesus Christ. Submit to the Lord. Put on the full armor of God. Die to self. Pick up your cross and follow him. God has to come first or nothing else matters. So that's number one. Number two, forgiveness, kindness, patience, and self-control listed among the fruits of the Spirit are supposed to be shown to all because nobody gets it right all the time, especially not the church. The Gospels, the Reformation, our many denominations, and even our country's existence bear witness 
to the ways the church has made some serious mistakes and done terrible things throughout history. So while we hold firm to godliness, we are never called to attack the members of the camp of worldliness. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We are called to demolish strongholds of wickedness in the spiritual world and the world of ideas. We are never called to get angry at the people who believe the lies. They can only escape by God's grace, as we all can testify. We didn't save ourselves. They can't save themselves either. God wants us on his rescue team. And that is an encouraging thought. So, we don't compromise, we stand firm, but we reach out in love, we forgive, we give second chances, third chances, and sometimes 43rd chances, as many as we want our Savior to give us to repent. There is still time before the vengeance comes. Number three, we simply must hold on to both one and two. The law came through Moses, and it's as hard as nails. God's righteousness is never indulgent and demands nothing less than perfection. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law tutors us that we cannot be righteous on our own. But Jesus shows that we can have his righteousness through his sacrifice on the cross. All of us have sinned. None of us can claim a righteousness above our brethren. Only Christ can stand before the Father faultless. And he will allow us to do the same if we accept him as Lord and Savior. As such, we have no reason, no merit, no excuse for condemning one another. For we are all in debt to God's mercy. Remember the sermon a few weeks ago about the servant who tried to choke his fellow servant was supposed to be forgiving and wasn't. There's a reason that story's in there. We are called to speak the truth in love, to call sin and evil what it is, and to do battle with the forces of wickedness we encounter. But we are reminded that our enemy is not the people we face, no matter the evil they do, no matter how misguided or naive their positions, no matter if they cheer for Texas and college football. None of us can claim to have all the right opinions. None of us. Does the idea of a right opinion even need to be entertained? Number four, with these in mind, we cannot afford to judge our world and our times foolishly. Now, it's good to be well informed, especially when forming opinions, but not all the info out there is true. And even after a lifetime of research, it is possible to be fooled, it is possible to be lost, it is possible to be no closer to the truth than when you began. At some point, we all have to accept some things on faith and authority. We decide what we think is true. Every person makes that choice with a different array of experiences 
and equipment, most of which other people are not given to know. My favorite line from the movie Anna and the King is when Anna, the teacher from England, is teaching Prince Chulalongkorn from Siam. And she says, most people do not see the world as it is. They see it as they are. And a good king needs a broader view. I have found that to be very true. When I taught in public schools, I took a look one day at my colleagues, and every one of them had a particular character flaw. And I started looking at the kinds of students that drove each of them nuts. Guess what? Same kind of flaw! <laughs> the loudmouth teacher who loved to talk hated students that were always talking. The rebel teacher who never did anything she was told hated the students that were rebellious and didn't do what they were told. God has a sense of humor, even though it's not always funny to us. <laughs> someone who likes to be loud gets really irritated by someone else who's being loud. Someone who likes to talk doesn't like to share the stage always. The prankster is always paranoid. <laughs> the thorough researcher expects other people to give their best too. But it is not so. No two lives are the same. No two lives are equipped the same. We must cultivate a teachable spirit. A mind willing to learn and to truly observe before passing judgment, if that is absolutely necessary. A heart to see past faults to needs. And while it's good to be well informed and it's good to find community, every community also has issues. And no matter how righteous your cause, or foundation or group, every group has its weirdos, psychos, and bad members. Every group has members who break the rules and give the rest of the group a black eye in the public square. Are there some Christians we would rather not have to claim? Are we proud of the worst of us? If so, then, we should see our own group or cause in the light of truth as being what it is filled with flawed humans who just don't get it right all the time and who get carried away by feelings sometimes, who get fooled, who buy bad information sometimes. We wouldn't want God to judge us all by the jerks he has to discipline and correct all the time, would we? There was one time when my brother and I we're playing golf with my dad. We were at the Sepulpa Golf Course, and I, if you've never been there, I will tell you that it is a fairly open course. Some golf courses have lots of big trees hanging over. This one doesn't. Trees are fairly short. There's a few low hills, but it's pretty wide open. Except for one thing. There's a lot of water on the Sepulpa Golf Course. 
Nearly every hole has some sort of water hazard, and some of them have multiple water hazards. If you've ever golfed, you know that golf balls have a magnetic attraction to water. That attraction was particularly strong on this day. Your average golfer will probably lose, I don't know, two, three, four balls while playing 18 holes. In the first nine holes alone, my brother and I lost 19 balls. <laughs> we got a little better after that, but I just I couldn't believe it. Like, I mean, I'm not a great golfer, but I didn't think I was that bad. Well, we went home, and my dad was watching golf on the TV, and they had an update at the bottom of the screen of a different tournament than the one they were televising. It was some golf scramble. Now, if you, if you don't know about a team scramble, what they do in a team scramble is everybody on the team hits. They find which of them hit the best shot, and then they all hit from there like they all hit the best shot. So it helps to lower your score, ideally. <laughs> I was watching the screen. And it showed there was a team from Israel in this international tournament, Team Scramble. And the Israeli team score was at plus 100. <laughs> I have never seen a score that high. I nudged my brother and said, hey, we could play for the Israeli team. <laughs> Mind you, teach him a thing or two. There's no water in Israel, right? How do we judge the causes we disagree with? Do we find the worst examples, the most controversial members of that group, and decide that all of them must be the same? If you had watched me and my brother that day, it would have been very easy to think that golf was a ridiculously hard sport, or that everyone in our family was a terrible golfer which isn't true. My dad's a scratch golfer. It's really good. Unfortunately, golf skills are not genetic. I think I hear conviction calling me again. <laughs> By the way, about conviction, be sure you can tell the difference between guilt from the enemy and conviction from the Holy Spirit, because they're not the same. Guilt from the enemy is general and vague it's all about you. It's about how bad you are. How it's all your fault. There's no solution, so you'll always be this way. It's kind of like a monologue from a movie villain. Your defeat is inevitable, blah, blah, blah. Go figure. You see where this leads. Can you see the kernel of truth inside the pudding of lies? Satan is right that we're at fault. But he tries to get us stuck right there. Apart from God. God won't stand for that. He takes us a step further. Conviction from the Holy Spirit is specific, and it's a call to action. God says, take, he says, this action or this motive or this thought was sinful. Go make restitution. Go repent. Go learn the truth. You are not the issue. The sin is the issue. And the only always and never statements apply to God, not to you and your sinful state. Take these steps to prevent it next time. Learn from it. Get up and keep moving. 
action and specific identification in conviction. In my life, it's the kind of thing where I usually end up sighing and saying to myself, yeah, I knew that. I should have listened. I need your help, God. So be sure you understand the difference. No matter the cause, it is people we are called to engage, speak the truth in love, no matter how crazy their cause sounds to us at first glance. I have reluctantly found that at second or third glance, most causes can be found to have something of value, some kernel of truth, something important that inspires membership. It may be twisted, may be distorted, may be false, may be only important for some or only for a season, or only attractive to those who have suffered something. There may be a fault or a sin or a lie at its foundation, but if the cause were only filled with lies, no one would go for it. People are dumb. Amen, anyone? But no one is so dumb that they would do and go for something evil if they knew how evil it was. This is why the scriptures describe the lost as being held captive by the enemy, taken by him to do his will. It's not what they really want. It's not what they were made for. So many simply do not know any different, and they lack the strength to resist. This is where we come in. This is our part to play in God's rescue plan for the world. We have been captives. We know how to talk to captives. God wants us to be the uncomfortably different, the startlingly unexpected, the salt in the food, the light in the darkness that is strong enough to turn the attention of a dying world away from the enemy killing it long enough to see the truth, to see the love, to see a little bit of the Savior and realize that their creator has come for them. They are important enough, valuable enough, dear enough to come for. And our presence should be proof of his love for them. So first, we learn what God wants us to be and stand for. Next, we reach out in love, knowing we will be hated and misunderstood. Third, we hold on to both. Fourth, we deal with individuals. We look past appearances and stereotypes and give up judging groups. That is how we address causes of disagreement in this world. And since our model is Christ, what about Jesus? How did he address causes in this world? Now, in his position, he had better opinions than anyone else. If anyone has a right to say their opinions are the right ones, God does. But how did Jesus treat the ignorant, the naive, the misinformed, the misguided, and even his enemies? He was completely honest, hiding nothing of the truth. But he was kind beyond reason, patient beyond human capacity, and gentle beyond belief. This is our example. If we take a look at who impressed Jesus, there was the centurion who believed in faith so strongly he didn't even show up in person. He trusted Jesus' word alone. 
There was the woman who washed Jesus' feet in, in perfume booth. There was the one grateful leper of the ten. There was Peter's declaration of Christ's identity. Zacchaeus' declaration of self-imposed restitution. The widow's two mites were an impressive donation. And there was that one lawyer who was not far from the kingdom of God. That makes seven. That's how often he was impressed by the opinions we had to offer. Not much. But how often did he reach out in kindness to help? Even when he wasn't impressed. That's pretty much the whole rest of the Gospels, isn't it? That is another encouraging thought. God is the great uncaused. No one started him. No one regulates him. So no one can change him. No matter what causes animate us, we should keep in the front of our minds the connection between God and our causes. If our causes are not connected to him, they will wither and die as we will. Whatever ignites your heart, lay it down before the Lord. Let him direct your passions. He alone is qualified. He alone can shape such strong forces as these. Let him be the sculptor, the author, the arranger of you. And let him arrange others differently. What God, so full of life that he can share it, so creative that he can make billions of humans unique and yet all reflective of himself. Let us celebrate each other's passions as gifts from God for our hurting world. Let each be firmly convinced in his own minds of what is worth dying for and what should be held lightly. Let us remember that our God is the source of conviction and the one who can lead us to successfully working, living, and worshiping together with others who see life so differently from ourselves. Even if we never agree about some things, even if we must part ways at times, we need never view our own small perspective as the measurement for all other perspectives. Our God is so much bigger than we are or ever will be. That is also an encouraging thing.